Well, good morning, church. We'll uh, stand and read second, or 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. The easiest verse in all the Bible. But women will be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. Let's pray. Lord, we uh, come to you with uh, totally humble and open hearts to hear your message. We know this verse has caused controversy like for centuries and has divided churches and people and it's just been absolutely crazy in terms of how this has impacted people. I pray, Lord, that you would give me strength to preach through it and to uh, represent you honestly with the, the heart that you intended. And um, we just pray, God, for your strength and for uni- your unifying spirit at this time. In Christ's name, amen. Well, good morning. We're going to be doing a sermon today on biblical motherhood. Biblical motherhood. Now, for some of you, this might seem like a departure from 1 Timothy. But I assure you, it's not. The reason is, is in our teaching series in Timothy, we've come to verses 11 through 15. And I'll be preaching on these next week. And these are the famous verses. I do not allow women to teach or exercise authority over men, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was created first, and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. And so these verses have, of course, um, been very impactful. So the purpose for doing a sermon on biblical motherhood is so it's a precursor. It's a precursor to some of the issues that might arise next week in our conversation. And if I do a sermon on this, I believe it'll get to the heart of what Paul is actually fighting against in Ephesus. <clears throat> and by uncovering this core issue, we can eliminate many of the questions and bring unity to our church in the way we approach the subject matter next week. You see, one of the major problems in Ephesus was that the family unit was being devalued. I'll say that again. The family unit in Ephesus was being devalued. Paul makes it clear that the primary instigators of this were the false teachers who especially had captivated the women in the church with this idea. One of the key heresies of the false teachers is actually found in chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Turn there and read this with me. But the Spirit explicitly says that in later times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of their own hypocrisy and of liars, seared in their own conscience with a branding iron, men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods. Men who forbid marriage. Now, think about this now. In, if you do not get married, if you forbid marriage, what are you actually forbidding also? Procreation, children, the family. To reject then, to reject marriage was to reject, and to reject children, was to reject the primary role that God had intended for women to be in. The motherhood and domestic responsibility. The result then is we can see Paul full of correctives in this letter, in this issue. Turn with me to chapter 5, verse 14. Therefore, I want younger widows to get married, 
to bear children, keep house, and give the enemy no occasion for reproach, for some have already turned aside to follow Satan. Why is he telling younger widows to get married and bear children and keep house, and accuses them of turning aside to follow Satan if they don't? Because the false teachers in chapter 4, verse 1, have been teaching the church, don't get married, don't have children, don't keep house. That's not your primary role. Look at uh, 5.9. This is the widow's list. Women who are going to be taken care of by the church. So there was a widow's crisis. Some women, the, the church couldn't take care of them all. They had to come up with a criteria by which who was taken care of and who was not to be. Look at uh, chapter 5, verse 8. Uh, a widow is to be put on the list if she's not less than six years old, having been the wife, the wife of one man, so um, having a reputation for good works, and if she's brought up children. Bringing up children. So watch this, like, no joke. Like, seriously, like, you go up to the widow's list, they ask you, have you, have you had family? And you say, no, the church doesn't take care of you. Another one in chapter 2.15. But women will be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. Paul's corrective to the church in Ephesus is focus on the family. Women, focus on the family. Because motherhood in Ephesus was being put on the shelf in order to pursue their own agendas and take on other roles that weren't meant for them. William Mounts, my favorite commentator that I've purchased in all my, in my series so far, says this. And I agree with him, or he agrees with me, whichever way you want to look at it. Um, Paul is seeking to right the balance by reasserting the importance of created order and the ongoing significance of those role distinctions between men and women that he saw rooted in creation. In Ephesus, there was the tendency to remove role distinctions between men and women. You see, what the women in Ephesus were doing were going against God's primary design. We see God's design for men and women right in the beginning in Genesis. In Genesis 1.28, God turns to Adam and Eve and says this, he blesses them and says, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. Family is intended. Chapter 9, verse 7, after the flood, he talks to Noah. One of his first things he says when he gets out of the ark is, Noah, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And they were blessed for this. And children in the Bible are a blessing. Family is a blessing. Psalm 127, verse 3 to 5. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. Psalm 128, right after it. Blessed are those who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to Him. You will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Yes, this will be the blessing for the man who fears the Lord. Children were a blessing, according to God. Family was a blessing, not a curse. They weren't, children weren't an obstacle that got in someone's way. 
Now, the reason I'm saying this is because society in Ephesus and society now is moving away from a value placed on women staying at home and raising family and instead of putting emphasis on their careers. In fact, when, when a career is an option and family is an option and there's a conflict and decision to be made, in our culture, career trumps family. You know what that results in, church? The world is in crisis. The world is in crisis. An article from the BBC News from November 2018. So it's March, so it's only, that's only like 13, like, uh, you know, 16 months old. So it's relatively new. Written by James Gallagher. The article is titled, Remarkable Decline in Fertility Rates. That's the article. He says this, According to researchers, there's been a remarkable global decline in the number of children women are having. Report findings are nearly half of the countries in the world are in a position where the births are insufficient to maintain population. This study that you did began in 1950 and ended in 2017. So 1950 to 2017. In 1950, women were having an average of 4.7 children per family in their lifetime. Now it's 2.4, half the rate as it was in 1950. Half, 2.4. And you know what the crazy thing is? There's a, the correlation is this. The more economically developed the country, the lower the birth rate. In other words, the higher the education, the higher the money, the more ability to, to work and to make cash, the lower the birth rate. In 2019, Japan decreased their population in one year by 500,000 people. 500,000 per year is what's declining in Japan. So in 10 years, that's 5 million less. In 2018, it's only 365,000. So it's not like maintaining. It's like it grew 135,000 people in that one year. So we expect, expect exponential changes in Japan. Canada, where do we fit in? We're catching up to Japan. Stats can and their information on, I found, says this, that Canada has been below the, the uh, repopulation rate for over 40 years. 40 years. The replacement rate, by the way, is 2.1. You need 2.1 children per average family to replace the population. Canada is at 1.5. The only thing that's saving our country is immigration. And I was talking to a guy in my gym uh, um, about six years ago or so, five, six years ago. And he was, he's a very outspoken man, um, doesn't hold nothing inside. The whole world knows everything he thinks about politics and about so-and-so's ethics and codes. And the guy, is, he's got no filter. He was complaining to me. It's not Tim, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, the, guy, the guy was complaining to me about all these, you know, blankety-blank immigrants and all going on and on and on. And I just stopped and I said, listen, I won't say his name, I'll just call him Bob. I said, Bob, listen, I said, do you know, realize that we're at fault for that? He's like, what do you mean? I said, we're having uh, less, we can't repopulate our, our nation. We need immigration to keep it going because there's no one to, to uh, basically take care of uh, where we're headed in the future. And he just stops in his tracks and goes, I never thought of it that way before. I'm like, yeah, totally. 
we need immigration. It's safe, it's gonna re- it's gonna the new generation to replace the people working and so on. Keep our country going. So what's going on? What's the main reason why we're what's the main reason why economic countries that are high in economic status are going into low decline in fertility rates? According to the stat from 1950 to 2017, seems to be the difficulty of balancing work and family is the barrier. Quote unquote from a woman from North Korea, South Korea, I should say, Young Yunhua. I have no plans to ever have children, says 24-year-old Yang Yunhua. I don't want the physical pain of childbirth, and it would be a detrimental to my career. Rather than be part of a family, I'd like to be independent and live alone and achieve my dreams. Rachel Jacobs from England, I'd always like to focus on my career. When I was pregnant, I was still focusing on my career. I know now that we can survive on what we earn as a family and still go on holiday every year. If we had more than one child, we couldn't go on holiday. We'd rather give our daughter the best of everything and have multiple children than we can just about, than we can just about feed and clothe. Our world is not willing to embrace God's given primary roles to men and women, men as the providers and women in their domestic responsibilities and having family. We're not embracing the command to be fruitful and multiply. That is the situation in Ephesus. That's the situation. And Paul gives a list of correctives. The fact that God's designed women's role to be the primary in in the bearing of children and raising of children and the domestic fear is evident, though, from Scripture for two reasons. Well, actually, one's scriptural and one's just logic. <laughs> I'll give the logical one first. It's evident, biologically, women are created for that and men aren't. Who carries the baby? Women do, not men. Who's been given specific body parts to feed the child without going to the grocery store for the first at least six months of their life? And, and it can go on for up to even like, like, you know, you can argue this, but even up to five years old if you had to. Women, not men. I'll never forget it. Actually, some of you guys have might have happened, happened to you. I remember holding one of my sons when they were like just an infant. And um, I had my shirt off and I was like in the rocking chair. Janice was out and uh, his face got near my chest and he just turned over and put his lips on me. <laughs> and I'm like, no, no, buddy, you got the wrong person. <laughs> instinct in his head just to go to like that certain part he he felt it it must be dad or it must be mom I mean I should say yeah just totally went for it and I'm like can't help you out God never created me with this primary role secondly in terms of the work it's obvious men were created for work we have we are physically bigger we are physically stronger. I know there's the exceptions to the rules of the Sarah Pons in the world who are <laughs> like jacked. But I mean, we, we are, but Rob's even more jacked. So there you go. So here's the point. Like men, men are created. If a fire happened in the house, if happened and the children were there, I don't think anyone in here would have the woman run in to get them. Everyone would turn and say, you turn to the guy and say, go get them. Why? Not because they're mentally sharp or how to navigate fire, because they're faster, they're stronger, they're bigger. That's why it's obvious by biological design the primary rules were created for. Secondly, though, secondly, though, the curse. Where was the curse for men and women? 
Think about this now. He said to the woman, all the days that you, you know, you will your desire after your husband, but he will rule over you. And in childbearing, you will basically have increased um, pain. He cursed her in the area of family, not in the area of work. Go to the man. Did he say, "I'm gonna, you're, you know, you're gonna have troubles with your wife and uh, with your children, and uh, it's gonna be difficult for you here, and and um, all these types of things?" He's like, "Of course not." He says, "The work, the ground is gonna produce thorns and thistles for you. You will toil." Uh, um, over it the whole all the days of your life and to the dust you'll return which is the dust you came from God already in the curse tells you where the primary roles are it is so evident so when Adam and Eve had when they had their first child we also can see that it was meant for them to be in those primary roles there were no grandparents for Eve to take care of the kids there was no daycare there was no babysitting when Adam and Eve were the first two human beings and they gave birth to their first son, Eve was not tilling the ground with Adam. She was taking care with the biological gifts that God had given her to take care of that child. The first two human beings show you in biology and curse where the primary roles are. Now, is it ever okay for a woman to work then? Well, the answer would be yes. Proverbs 31, woman. She's defined as a woman who's having family and working. Verse 16 says, She considers a field and buys it. From here, earnings, she plants a vineyard. Now, the key within this passage, though, is this. Four times in that same proverb, the, 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 the writer talks about her role in the household. The word household is used four times in that whole proverb. <clears throat> Verse 15, verse 21, verse 27, and verse 28. And at the end, she's described in verse 30 as someone who fears the Lord. She never gave up her family and taking care of her household to go work. Her primary role was still to take care of the family, and she accented the family with income. But she never, for, she never forgo her primary role. I can't think of anyone greater as an example than Hannah from 1 Samuel. This story is unbelievable. I learned some things this week that I never saw before. You know the story in chapter 1 and 2. Elkanah is married. He has two women as wives, um, Hannah and Penaniah. Penana or something like that. Panini. <laughs> Let's call her Panini. P for short. We'll call her P for short. Hannah and P. Hannah's barren, and P has got lots of children, and P always provokes Hannah because she can't bear children to the point that she starts, puts her in tears, and she's absolutely distraught. So Hannah prays to the Lord and makes a vow and says, if you ever give me a child, I'll dedicate them all the days of my life. Lord Almighty, if you will only look at your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. Notice the word all. Now, in this context, to give her son away is to give him to Eli. Eli is the priest at the time who's overseeing the tabernacle. There's no temple yet. So Eli is the priest, and so by giving, her, giving, her to the, giving him, who is Samuel, to the Lord, uh, it's to give him to Eli to serve in the, in the tabernacle and priestly duties. And we know that uh, Samuel became, becomes the main prophet. 
Okay, that's what it means to give. Now, what's amazing is this. After Samuel is born, what do you expect? If you make a vow to give him to you all the days of your life, you think, born, you know, clean him off, maybe take care of him for like, you know, 45 minutes, off to Eli. That's what you expect all the days of his life. Look what happens. So Hannah stayed home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. (laughs) This is amazing for two reasons. Number one, Deuteronomy 23, 21 says this. Those who delay in fulfilling vows will be guilty of sin. God never accused her of sinning. There was no condemnation for the choice that she made to do this. But second, second cool observation is this. She actually changed her priorities and how she organized her life in order to accomplish this. See, what you can do when you go read this here was the practice of Elkanah's two wives. It says there that every year they would go to Shiloh because the temple hadn't been built yet, so the tabernacle was in Shiloh. They'd go to Shiloh to do the yearly sacrifice. Now remember, God commanded three sacrifices a year for Jews to attend. So we don't know which sacrifice this was because it just says the yearly sacrifice. So let's just say it's Passover for argument's sake. Elkanah, P, and Hannah would go up every year with Elkanah to the yearly sacrifice every year and honor and worship the God and do the sacrificial bull and, or lamb or whatever else they had. And that was their custom. This is their custom. Guess what Hannah does? She stays home and nurses him and doesn't go to the sacrifice. When she goes to the sacrifice and reinstitutes her worship again, it's after her son was weaned. And you know what? God loved her for it. He blessed her, it says in the scripture, and gave her more children. <laughs> she, listen, church, let me put it in black and white. She chose to take care of her son over going to, the, to worship God and do sacrifices in Shiloh. <laughs> and God blessed her for it. Because that's his, what she was created for. She's honoring the Lord by doing this in her primary role. Now, are there exceptions to this rule? I, I think it's important to, to clear this up. I think, of course, there are. In 1 Corinthians 7, it talks about women who have been given the gift of singleness. Okay, if a woman has been given the gift of singleness, it says there's so that she can honor the Lord, do things for the Lord. If she's single, then, I mean, that's a God-given gift, then she can remain single for the kingdom. That's fine. Other women have a desire to be married, a desire for children, but have not had the opportunity to do so. And so that's fine. It's not a willful rejection of the, of the role. It's, not, it's lack of opportunity. You haven't met someone yet. If, you're, if you have a dead spouse, you know, if you have a dead spouse, I mean, you, would, and you, could, you have to take care of yourself because you have to go back to work because you're a widow or something like that. You're infertile, like the case of Hannah. Without Lord intervening, there was no chance for children in that moment. I know one guy in in Calgary, uh, he was all ready to church plant and he got Lyme's disease. He's so sick, his wife had to go back to school to get a career. Or she had a a degree, but she went back for further to get it because it didn't look like he's going to recover. They've had to role reverse because of the 
because of the long-term sickness. But that wasn't there. It's not a willful rejection. It's it's an unfortunate circumstance. I know some husbands that are are misogynists and they have addiction problems and they and they, they gamble and and they just they're absolutely like horrific with money. And they might be maybe a woman's married to a non-Christian man. And so he won't take care of the family or he just blows all the money all the time and there's no consistency. She may choose to work, not because she's willfully rejecting the role, but because she has to somehow make up for the lack of this deadbeat husband. Again, we're talking about people here who, have, who basically rejected their role because of selfish reasons. They just don't want children because they're a burden and so on. Now here's why this is important. In verse 15, there's a warning if this occurs. If a woman does this, there's a warning. But women will be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. A lot of you have the word saved, but women will be saved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. This is probably the most contested and debated verse in all the pastoral epistles in Timothy and Titus, perhaps even the all of Scripture. I read, I read four different sources, four different sources with all different theological backgrounds, professors, commentaries, pastors, four different sources, people that aren't slouches, they're, they're teachers at seminary, they're on 1140 radio with like, a, like a high-end ministries, people that we respect. They presented five, no, six. They presented, or, yeah, presented five to six different options of what is being saying here, said here. So coming up with unity on this verse is not easy. Five or six options, and of the four sources, three came to, two, two, three came to totally different conclusions. So here's the thing. I'm going to present my conclusion to you of what I believe this is saying, and you probably will, you, some of you will accept it, and some of you might disagree. And I'm okay with that, because like I said, of my four sources, that, the men that you would all respect, three different conclusions, so there you go. But I'm responsible to honor the Lord with what I learned you know, through my own study of scripture, and so I sit before you with that caveat. Let me present to you four of the five or six options and I'll explain to you which one I, where, where, where I end up. Because you need to know them. First one is this. That what Paul is teaching is that a woman will be physically saved through childbirth. A woman will be physically saved through childbirth. Here's a problem with that. Why this can't be logically true. Many women of faith died in childbirth. Or remained childless. Whereas many faithless women have been saved in the process of childbirth. So it can't, be the, it can't be the answer. Yeah, we have evidence in Scripture of women who are godly women who died in childbirth. So this cannot be what is meant by Paul. Number two, the second alternative is that through childbearing, the word through childbearing should be translated to the word childbirth. In other words, women will be saved by a particular birth of a particular child. Refer- referencing Mary giving birth to Jesus. And by giving birth to Jesus, she's reversed the effects of Eve and the curse in Genesis 3.15. So even though Eve brought the transgression in the world, 
according to verse 13 and 14, even though she was the culprit, men, women, by having children, especially, well, actually, by Mary having the, the birth child, women are to be the ones who bring salvation to the world. That's the, the problem with this interpretation is the, the use of Paul's word, they. If he was talking about Mary's one single act, he says here, women will be saved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love. In that context, he's talking to Ephesus. It's those women he's talking to. It's not a single woman. Secondly, you and I would never come to that conclusion just by reading that text. That is not obvious. Nowhere in Paul's theology, anywhere in the New Testament, does he talk about Mary being the agent of salvation for women. There's not a single reference to that anywhere in the Bible. Third option. Women will be spiritually saved through childbirth. This gets a lot of people up in arms because this contradicts uh, grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Right? Salvation is by grace alone, and by, or faith alone in Jesus Christ. And it seems like a works-based righteousness. And, they, and their way around it is to say that the word saved can also mean to rescue or to heal in the physical sense. Which appears many times in the New Testament without reference to a spiritual. So the idea goes like this. While a woman may have led the human race into sin, women have the privilege of leading many out of sin and into godliness by the raising of children. Here's the problem with that interpretation. Every time Paul uses the word saved in Timothy, in 1 Timothy, it's always in reference to sin and eternal life. It's the word sozo. I'll read it to you, 115. He says, It is a trustworthy statement, deserving of full acceptance, that Christ came into the world to save, sozo, sinners. Context is spiritual. Chapter 2, verse 4. He desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. The word sozo, spiritual. And one more in 4.16. When Paul refers to physical saving or deliverance, he actually uses a different Greek word. So with this being said then, it has to be a spiritual saving through childbirth. But I'm going to add a, 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 a nuance to this. Part four, or number four option, is that they're safe from the errors of the false teachers. Women will be safe from the errors of the false teachers. The problem with this is the same reasons I just mentioned. The word sozo is in the spiritual context. Secondly, it's the women. The reason they were in this mess in the first place is because they were actually duped by the false teachers. So to say that they'll be safe from the errors of them, they're already encapsulated by them. So to me, it's illogical. So what's the answer? For many of you, I've already given the answer. <laughs> so you're like, what's the problem, Andrew? Well, I think that none of them totally nail it. But the third one's the closest. That women are spiritually saved through childbirth. It's the closest, but there's a nuance. I'll say it this way. I do believe what Paul's teaching is this. A woman's salvation is in jeopardy if they choose to neglect their God-given role of having children. A willful rejection, I do believe their salvation is in jeopardy. First of all, Paul's use of salvation is in Timothy is always in the category of spiritual. So we have to think in this way. But we also have to think about Paul's understanding of salvation. He always teaches that salvation is by grace and faith alone in Jesus Christ. But he also teaches this. 
There's a record, there's, we have to persevere. We have to persevere. And there's things that we can do to put that relationship in jeopardy. Chapter 1, chapter 4, verse 16. Listen to these words. Pay close attention to yourself, Timothy, and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for if you do this, you will endure, ensure salvation for yourself and those who hear you. The implication, if you don't persevere, you won't ensure in salvation for yourself. So it's not that he wasn't saved by grace. He was. He's there to help the Ephesian church. But he understands that if he doesn't persevere, he's in trouble. There are relational obligations to walking with Jesus Christ. There's ways of expressing our faith that show our love for Him. Many things in Scripture in the New Testament show us that we put our salvation in jeopardy if we don't walk in faith, uh, walk in the way God desires. The fact that He uses Eve is a great example. I'm going to ask a question. It's rhetorical. <laughs> was Eve a Christian? I guess you could use when she was created. She was in relationship with God, wasn't she? What did she do? She, she was duped by Satan, transgressed, and, she, and God says, if you do this, you will surely die. When she did that, she was separated from God relationally. She obviously repented. She must have because God redeemed her through the animal, like the, 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 um, the, uh, the, uh, the act of the, like the uh, sacrificial um, animals in the garden. So we see him clothing her with, with uh, the blood of the animals, right? So we see a redemption of Eve. But the point is this. She was in relationship. She transgressed, got duped by Satan. And she had to be redeemed again. These women are doing what? Chapter 4, verse 1 said what? They're following doctrines of demons. Chapter 5 says they're being, they've already gone the way of Satan. These women have been redeemed by, by the Lord. They are now embracing a different role. They're not walking in the way God wants. They've transgressed his primary uh, role for them. And he says, you will, if you get back to your primary role, you, you walk away from the, the false teachers and you get back to what God designed you for, you will be saved. You'll be saved. You're in jeopardy by rejecting the very thing God created you for. But you can be redeemed if you go back to the very thing God created you for. Basically, these women in Ephesus, like our culture is today, are basically telling the creator who created them, I don't want anything to do with the way you designed me. I'm right, you're wrong. You created me, but I'm right and you're wrong. Mount said it this way. The primary role of the... Oh, sorry. Where did you... Where did you Oh, I didn't write it down. Sorry. Mount said it this way. In somewhat, in a somewhat awkward manner, Paul is saying that a woman's salvation and the practical outworking of that salvation do not consist in altering her role in the church. Rather, she is to accept her God-given role on the specific functions of childbearing. This is Paul's standard th thought that salvation requires continual perseverance. Now, I want to conclude by saying this. Roles in our culture for a woman to be domestically orientated and to think of the family and having children is to demean a woman. It's to make her have less value. In the scripture, roles does not mean less in value to God. Roles does not mean a less, lesser value to God. 
I like the way Graham Rattray said it to me one time years ago. We were discussing this, and he said, you know, Andrew, he says, you know, if I have a truck and I have a car, he says, do they have different roles? Of course they do. If I want to get to Calgary quickly in this kind of weather, I'd probably take a truck. If I want to get to Calgary quickly in the summertime, I take the car. If you're stuck, you, you get the truck. You know, if you want to save gas, you get the car. They have different roles. Both could have a 350 horsepower engine in them, though. And both cost $50,000. <laughs> They're equal in value. They're equal in status. They have completely different roles, and we don't demean that. I like what, what one of my guys said here. He said, you know, Christ did not abolish physiological or cultural distinctions between the sexes. Yes, what Christ did on the cross was he made it equal for all of us to be saved. He put us all on equal level in terms of his love and our value to him. The cross was for everyone. But that did not erase the role that God had given to men and women. So what can we learn? The primary role of the biblical mother is to take care of her household. Even, even the garden, right off the chute, no grandparents, no babysitting. When Adam was working and she had a baby, where was she? With the child. Hannah had the option to go to the yearly sacrifice, could give her son away right away to, to fulfill the vow all the days, stays home, weans him. And I forgot to mention this. Not only does she wean him. If I said to you, what's weaning? You might think, well, two years old. Listen to this. Look at these verses. When she finally gave Samuel to uh, Eli, it says that he worshipped the Lord there. When she finally brought Samuel there, he was old enough to worship independently. So this is not a two-year-old, not an infant. Weaning includes, not, in this context, is not only to breastfeed, but to raise the children in the early years. <laughs> Look at 2.11. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah. This is after they brought Samuel there. And the boy ministered to the Lord before Eli. He's working beside Eli, like in the temple, or in the tabernacle. Isn't that, isn't that incredible? All the, days of the all the days of my life I will give you my son. And she shows up with a boy at the tabernacle. And God loves her for it, blesses her for it, and gives her more children as a reward. Proverbs, number, Proverbs 31 woman works, never neglects her household. And the curse tells you exactly where the primary role is supposed to be. Adam, the ground's going to be tough for you, and you're going to, by the sweat of your brow, you're going to die. Woman, you're going to have a hard time in your relationship with your husband and with the raising of your family. And that's your curse. Lesson two. A wife can accent the role of her husband in providing for the family so long as she doesn't neglect her primary role. And this is the big one. And this is the one that first... And again, I know I stand in opposition to three of the sources <laughs> that, I, that I studied. But I, we can debate this in, if you want. But... A woman's salvation is in jeopardy if she willfully rejects marriage and the bearing of children. And I use the word willfully intentionally. I'm not talking about the exceptions. Single women who, who, who want to get married or have the gift of, 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 um, of, of uh, celibacy or are infertile or what have you. This is people that say, God, 
I have the capabilities to do so, but I reject what you have for me. I don't want your best. I don't want to do what you've created me for. I'm out. I'm out. And finally, while women and men are completely equal in status and value before God, they have different roles to play. Men are the providers, provisionary care. Women are to be domestic in nature, bear children, raise them, and be workers at home, according to Timothy and Titus. Let's have a time of dialogue.